you know, how, I mean, how can they treat us this way? Right. I've lost my job. And where I had a totally different meaning, it's like, I'm blessed. I survived a plane crash. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It Podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Today on the show, I have uh, Dave Sanderson. Dave, thank you very much for coming on. Joel, thank you for uh, having me today. Excited to be with you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Dave is a motivational speaker, mentor, and survivor of the miracle on the Hudson. So uh, I'm super excited to have you on, like I said, and I'm looking forward to digging into this India uh, story. <clears throat> so um, I'll lead straight into the first question. Dave, is that okay? So what has your focus right now in the world? Uh, unfortunately, you cut out just for a second, Joel. Uh, why don't you repeat that again? Uh, what has your focus right now in the world? Well, my focus right now and is my big mission is I'm trying to find an impact a million people. And that really came from something that happened last summer that's – evolved really started back in 1984 but i just found last summer now it's sort of my mission now to how can i impact a million people in the next 10 years and that's what my focus is on now okay that sounds intriguing so uh we're going to unpack that a little bit what what, what your mission is yep sure so uh what happened is in 1984 i was a second assistant restaurant manager uh which means you had the second or third shift which means you're working nights but fortunately for me, there was a guy who came into the restaurant every night, and he'd come in for his coffee and his ice cream. Just a good old guy. He wore a flannel shirt, drove a pickup truck. So you never think much of that kind of person. But this gentleman owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. He was a multimillionaire. He was known as the Sam Walton of like the of, of Walmart of Charlotte. He was like the man, and he mentored me for 13 years. He took me under his wing and. He really helped me when I needed somebody just to be that guide for me, that mentor for me. Hmm. So in 1997, before he passed away, he, he, I went to his office to see him, and he opened up his desk, and he pulled out all these crumpled papers. I was like, okay. He sat down next to me and said, I want to give these to you. And these were the notes that he took in 1929 from his mentor on how to really build a successful business. Oh, wow. And the last words he said to me before before we left was, don't let this die with you. So he gave me these notes, right? So what do I do? I put them in a journal and I don't look at them, right? Until last summer. I found this journal and opened them up and I start shaking. And I'm like, these, this is gold. This is, this is wisdom from the, the 1920s that he did and he built an empire on. And I start thinking back, I, said, I made a commitment to this guy, right? My mentor, I had to do so. So I said, you know what? I'm going to find 10 people that I can teach and mentor these 10 people with these great business wisdom that, and, and the life lessons that he taught me for 13 years to help me get to where I'm at. And I'm going to teach those 10 people to do 10 people. And over 10 years, we're going to impact a million people. So right now, Joel, that's my mission. I'm looking for 10 people that I can teach this wisdom to that fortunately I was given and um, back uh, when I was a young man and I needed that help. I actually listened to your TEDx talk. And uh, I've, I've been sort of doing my background work. And uh, something that, that you said with regards to that mentor, how, how, would you, how would you pursue that mentorship relationship? Because it's not, there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, that they're, they're this and they're that. And yep. how, how, do you, how would you go about finding somebody that you feel might be the one, you know? 
Well, that's, that's a great question because fortunately for me, the first one landed in my lap. I'm very candid. But fortunately for me, I had other, other mentors that came into my life, like Tony Robbins, and I was around Tony because one of the things I tell people is proximity is power, right? Mm. Being around people who can you can see and they walk through talk. Yeah, that's and that's one thing I've always looked for. And Bill told me that. Tony's taught me that. So I have a mentor right now. He's out of Atlanta, and he's a very successful entrepreneur. And I did some things with him, but I saw that how he really conducted himself. And he he had some really insights that basically opened my mind up to some things that I, I was missing. So I actually reached out to him. I said, you know, his name's Don. I said, Don, you know, and he's younger than me. He's four years younger than me. I said, Don, would you, would you just take me? And just, and I need some help. Just give me some guidance. So the guidance I would say is a proximity is power. B find somebody who's walked the talk. Don't just say if someone says it's a mentor, well prove it. Walk the talk. And third, don't be afraid to ask people. See, I love people who ask me, right? I, I when people ask me, it's like I do a little interview with them to find out are they really are you serious, you know, or not, right? Yeah. That's that's what I really want to find out. That's that question was asked me by General Norman Schwarzkopf. Do you really want to know? Or you just ask it. He said that to me, and when I in 1999, and man, I tell you what, Joel, it woke me up. He was a, he was a four-star general who just won the war in Iraq, and this, and I'm asking him a question: Do you really want to know, or are you just ask it? I said, "Whoa!" And what a great question, right? Because some people are just asking to be asking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I really wanted to know, so I asked him again. So that's why I say, "Ask," but you, on the other side, be ready to answer questions. Do you, are you just asking so? You, make you feel good or do you really want to have someone to give you that insights so you can compress those years down to days and that's what a mentor does for you right they yeah. take all the stuff that they've learned to be able to give it to you in a way that you can use it right now if you take action yeah okay yeah I like that um, okay so going back a little bit further than maybe your introduction to that mentor going back to a time when you were maybe I don't know, around 10 years old, maybe in school, okay. family life. What sort of stories does that evoke for you? Well, you know, I talk strongly about my mother's influence a lot because my dad was going traveling a lot, sort of like I was for many years. So, you know, when I was, you know, if I was 10, we were just landed on the moon, right? And, and it was a big deal. So, you know, when I was, I was in sports, I wanted to be an astronaut, and, but I had a lot of love in my house. My mother really was my, my rock. She would, and she would hold me. And one of the things I learned from my mother, she'd hold me to standards. Hmm. And I tell, I tell kids this. I said, if you can understand my mother's mentality, is it there's a standard and there's consequences to every decision. And that was one of my mother's things. Whatever, there's a good, you might be good consequences or bad consequences, but she made us make decisions. And I, and I tell kids this. And I said, one of the things I failed at, and I, I'm trying to work on this with my kids, is I want my kids now to have to make decisions. Because nowadays, a lot of these kids are given stuff. The parents just give it to them, whether it's a car or give them a job. and They don't have to make decisions because now all of a sudden they get out in the real world, and this happened to my eldest daughter. She had to make a decision, and she melted down because she never had to make a decision, yeah. right? So I think I would say the answer to that question in a sort of way is my mother told us there's consequences, and she made us make decisions and had consequences. So – I learned to make decisions when I was that age range and made a lot of poor ones, right? We all make bad decisions, but it made, I learned how to make a decision, which is the first step. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that a lot with, 
like my children, if they want stuff, they don't just get it given to them. So my question is, how badly do you want it, and what are you willing to do for it? <laughs> you know, would you go and cut the grass? You know, every day this week and stuff. You know, it's cost the cost of, cost of business do everything, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And yeah, I think it's like you just said. I think it's missing from today's society. In you know, I'm, I'm I'm guilty of it. I know that. I'm trying to correct that right now. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's work in progress, isn't it? It's uh, okay. Um, so let's go forward a few years uh, to a time of great change. Um, how about what stories and emotions does that evoke for you with regards to um, a time of great change? Um, what are we talking about? Sort of what transitioning to university, or if you got a university story, that'd be great. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, that was I think. Well, for most people, that's the biggest, one of the biggest changes in your life because you're going from a very controlled environment, which we call in the United States high school, right? Yeah. You're living in a house, and now you're going to an environment where it's wide open. And you have to make decisions, and you have to basically show up. And I think that was one of the biggest learning experiences for me because for the first semester in university, I didn't. I was partying. Right, I was an athlete. I, I also I was an athlete, but I busted my knee, so I couldn't play athletics. So I was partying. I wasn't showing up, and I wasn't living up to the standards my family thought. So my dad gave me consequences, right? And basically, you don't get a hit a certain number. It was a three point I'm not paying for your college. Oh, and I didn't, right? And so for the last three years, I had to pay for my own college, which then put I had more value on it. I value my college education a lot more than some of the kids and my, even my wife. I love my wife, but her dad paid four years of college. So it was a good experience, right? But yeah. I value mine because I had to pay for mine. Yeah. And it sounds harsh, but my dad just grew up in the, during the depression, right? He, they didn't have much. Yeah. And they valued everything. So, you know, you, you don't do this, then you're going to have to pay for it if you want to go back. And I didn't want to go back. And back then, college was only $5,000 USD a year, right? But back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money, right? When you're only making two fifty an hour, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would say that was probably a life-changing experience for me. And I brought it all myself and cleaned my act up pretty quick after that. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that's a confident move on your dad's part to, you know, let, let you carry the can. Because that's something I, I struggle with all the time. It's like, I don't want to hold them back, but I also want them to be accountable. That's right. You know, it's that, it's that weird balance between empowering them to understand that they can control their own destiny versus, you know, guiding them and maybe too much. <laughs> well, I tell people, one of the great things I learned, word is everything. And I'll fast forward four years, I graduated from college. Great. Hoorah, right? I get home, he says, you have 30 days to get out of the house. Oh. And this is 1983, recession, right? And so I didn't have a job in 30 days, right? I was sort of like, you know, okay, does, is he serious? He was serious. So on day 31 or day 32, he calls a buddy of his, a friend of his, who was a restaurant area manager, said, do you have a job for my son? He needs to get the hell out of the house. Oh. And also I get this call to go, go be a second assistant restaurant manager for a chain. And I knew nothing about restaurants. But my dad told me I had to get out of the house. And he was serious, right? 
But if I didn't have that experience, I don't meet Bill, my, my mentor, right? So everything happens for a reason, right? But my dad, or the greatest line I said, my dad, whatever he said was his word. It is what it is, right? So and I wish, once again, I had more of that in me. Because sometimes I'll let my kids go a little bit further than I should, right? And I say something, but you know what? Okay, we'll get through it. Uh, that was my dad. In my dad's world, that wouldn't have happened. He would have been very disappointed anytime I allowed that to happen. So, great lesson from my dad, and I'm really working on that too. Is my well, if I say something to somebody, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you know, hopefully, we can work through it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I I struggle with that with the like I say with the kids. It's uh, it's, it's not easy. Kid? So we got um, uh, they are. Four, sorry, my computer's gone wonky. <laughs> they are fourteen, thirteen, and six. Okay. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. If I say something, I'll stick to it. But my wife is the other way, mm-hmm. and then and then you can get a conflict between the two because right. obviously I've got my expectations and she's got hers. You know, and it and it brings a different dynamic to the to the household then. <laughs> They play off each other. I know. Yeah. Play, these kids are skilled today. Very skilled. They're very skilled. Very skilled indeed. Okay, so um, look, going, looking when you look back upon your life, what do you think uh, sort of sto- um, What do you think took you longest to learn? Uh, the value of money. I don't say because you know I, you know, and you make some money. So you feel good about life, right? And you have these people telling you what you should do and you don't pay attention. Mm. And then you go through the money. You have to start all over again. So I think it's been a great lesson for me is that, you know, it took me a little while to figure that out. I'm not going to say, I mean, it takes people, a lot of people, different time frames. But I think uh, once I learned that, you know, what a dollar means, you know, and how valuable it really is and, the power that you have when you you have have income and the money that can, you can then impact other people's lives. That's that's what I was. I wasn't giving. I'm very careful. For years, I didn't give. Mm. You know, and all of a sudden, I started giving, and all of a sudden, great things happened in my life. So, I think I started valuing money more because once I could give money, then it would come back to me tenfold, maybe by meeting people I never got a chance to meet, or you know, having an experience I never have a chance to. So, yeah, that's, I think that's 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 important. Yeah, I see you're a big advocate of the Red Cross. I am. I yeah. am. So yep, I, they were there three times that day during the plane crash and after the plane crash. And I've been very honored and proud that they let me be a part of their organization, helping raise over $14 million in uh, over 170 times around the world. So I'm very honored to be able to do that for, to help them because – they're impacting people every single moment or every single day. Something's going on. You know, right now we're having, we just had an earthquake, right? In Southern California, we just had a tropical storm. Mm-hmm. I was in the Midwest a couple of weeks ago during the flooding. So that's why I speak so passionately because they're impacting people every single moment of every single day. Yeah. Yeah. You got some crazy weather going on over there right now. Yes, we do. It all depends on where you're at. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So could we, could we dig, dig into a little bit into the, into the, the, the the plane the plane incident. Sure. I mean, Far away. Uh, okay, so I, I, when I was listening to your TEDx, um, you 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 said that 
the reason that you were able to stay calm or in a responsive mode was because you were able to change or control your psych- physiological state. That's right. Could you, maybe for the audience that may be not aware of how or what that actually means, could you explain a little bit more on that? So one of the things I learned many, many years ago, and then, and of course, this is one of the things that Tony teaches likewise, is it all starts with how to manage your state, how to manage your mind. Uh, and there's three ways to do that. Through your physiology, the way you move your body, the, you know, through your auditory, what you say to yourself, and what you focus on. And what I what I shared in my TED talk and I share in other other venues is when you're going down in a plane crash, you know, you have no control over the plane. You have no control over anybody else on the plane. The one thing you can control is your mind and the way you respond. But how are you going to get up and move around physically? Physiology, right? You, you can't you really can't do that. So you had to do I had to do it in a different way. I did that by the questions I asked myself. Okay. Everybody cool. manages state in different ways. Yeah. So I, I've learned by all by all my experiences and being around some of these great leaders, how do they do it? And it all, you know, I, if I'm able to do a physiology, why you see me moving? You know, that's how I manage my state physiology. That's how I get in state to go on stage. But that day on the plane, I had to do it by asking different questions in my head, which kept me calm, which kept me focused. So some other people probably had to moved around. Some people were calling calling their family, right? Yeah. Somebody, so everybody handles it a different way, but there's three ways to handle it. And Kaylee, if you master those three ways, in any situation, you can be able to manage your state, manage your mind, so you can get through it. And that's the first step on how to do it is managing your state. Would, would you be willing to share with us maybe one of the questions you asked yourself? If I survive this, what am I going to do with it? That's a powerful one. Nothing, nothing is, if we get down, I remember I said, nothing, if we get down safely, what's my game plan? Right. Next so I was text. asking questions, right? Just asking questions to myself because, okay, if I, because I tell you the answer, when we got down, my game plan is aisle up out. I tell this in my talk, aisle up out. But I asked that question as we were going down. If I survive this, what am I going to do? Hmm. Right. Aisle up out. So those questions kept my mind engaged as all stuff is breaking loose and you're going straight into ice cold water at a hundred plus miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I never been in any anything as high pressure as that. Right? Like uh, there was a stage over over in the UK where we went through um, like shootings in in London and stuff. And I and I was in Cardiff one day with the kids, and I, and I started running scenarios. What if, you know, just to just to see what what their default might be? Because I've read I read a book called Left the Bang, and they were saying that if if you're the people that tend to freeze are the people that have got nowhere to go because they've never imagined what's next. That's right. You know, and you, you obviously were doing that to such a degree that you, that you actually help people off the aircraft. And I talk about that, and you've probably heard of it. If you talk, heard of, I talk about it, there was a lady on the wing who was stifled, who was, who was in a trance. She didn't know what to do. Yeah. You can't, you, I don't judge her for that. You just don't, I mean, who expects to be on a wing after a plane crash in high school? Yeah. Who does? But that's why when I was managing my state, I knew one of the ways to get people out of that is you got to do something radical. You got to do something so wild that they're looking at you like, who is this crazy person? But as soon as you get them looking at you, you change their state and change their focus. And that's why I did what I did. I, I yelled at this lady and everybody started looking at me like, who is this guy, right? Mm-hmm. I did that for a purpose though. And I got her, at least I got her changing her focus and the standing there because She's standing there and no one's walking around her because she's standing in the middle. 
Yeah. You can't walk around her. So she had to move, right? She had, somebody had to move her, right? And all I did is, man, all I did is, I tell people, I don't get any, I don't get any credit. All I did is yell at her, right? But I at least got her attention. So, yeah, yeah, we engage. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's incredible. Um, okay, so is have you always been that way? I mean, um, being able to change or being aware that your physiological state dictates basically your life. Well, you know, I would say ever since 1994, I knew how to do it. And there were certain times I had to do it. Yeah. Um, maybe not life-threatening like that was, but there were times when I had to, you know, go into a certain state and be maintain that state and be able to be able to get there quickly. Like when I was in, I was in sales for 30 plus years, hmm. I would put myself in a certain state every time before I do a presentation. Because I had to be, you have to be engaged, you have to be focused, right? And I said, you know, if I'm not in the right state, how am I going to get them in the right state to be able to have see value in what I'm offering them? So I would use these skills in my sales career. And I also taught it in a class at Disneyland when I did a class with another gentleman to teach how, how to really manage your state in that kind of environment with 25,000 people and all stuff's coming at you, right? How do you manage your state? So uh, the only really life-threatening experience, I had a couple, you know, everybody's, everybody's got something, right? But the, the plane crash tested me. That was the test. Can you really manage your mind when all stuff's going down? And in one minute from now, you may be dead. You may be dead in one minute. You know, and you know that. And you can see it in front of your eyes. I may be dead, and it's coming. If I think everybody did a magnificent job on the plane that day managing their state. Some better than others, right? But everybody managed their state because no one lost their heads. Yeah. Which is amazing when you think about it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can we dig in a little bit more? Like, with regards to um, what you feel was the most important thing that you'd learned. I know we touched on the physiological state, but do you feel there's anything else that you learned in your past that was a, a key point or a keystone in that dealing with that situation? Yeah. Um, I would say. Um, let's talk about maybe after, okay, immediately after, because I think that's one of the biggest learnings I had, and I talk about this, is the meaning you attach to something produces your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So what meanings do you attach to things? Because that's going to determine the, the emotion the way you respond. And so, you know, some people that day in, who out of that experience said, this is the worst experience of my life. You know, how, I mean, how can they treat us this way, right? I've lost my job. And where I had a totally different meaning, it's like, I'm blessed. I survived a plane crash. Same situation, they're totally different meanings. Yeah. So one of the greatest learnings that I had was, is the meaning you attach to something produces whatever emotion you're, you're going to have. So you better be able to reframe that meaning. So I teach people, what I do is I help people learn to teach them how to reframe meaning. So instead of a negative meaning, you can at least get to a neutral or a positive meaning, have the same situation. And I show people how to reframe. And it all starts with asking different questions. I mean, it all starts with asking a different different level of question. So were you aware of the, asking those questions before you work for Tony? Was that something that come about through your sales or your restauranteer career? No, I, you know, I learned that in 1994. But I'd probably say I really didn't implement it probably till closer to the year 2000, 2001, because – 
that's that's when I became the director of security for Tony, and I had to at that point step up, and I had to really. I not only had to work myself, I had to work with a team. Now I, I'm working in a big environment. So I would say I learned it, but I didn't install it until I mean, probably, all right, until yeah. that time. And then I, then I'll see the rest of them. I've been able to use it, right, in certain situations. So, I mean, obviously from something that's so traumatic, what, what do you feel has helped you um, process those emotions? You know, even though you have put them in a very – positive context is, is obviously great question. Good. great question because i get that asked i used to get asked a lot because there's a lot of i would say a lot there's some passengers who still are struggling still and i don't i don't judge them and people say well how did you get through it how and why, why even said they even they look at the movie sully right yeah um and you see the amazing journey of that captain and he was struggling right but how did how did you not? How did you get through it? I said, well, the way I process is, and I learned this, is I got it out of my body. And they said, what do you mean? Well, I said, one of the things I've learned through my life is that you start chunking things in your body. That you know, Why does this happen to me? Why does this always happen to me? Asking stupid questions in your head. So all of a sudden, you ask them so much, it gets so deep in your body. All of a sudden, you're processing this thing a different way. It's like, man, I can't, I'm locked in. I don't know what to do. Where I started probably getting it out of my body, so I just stand, so I start speaking. I started having interviews, so it got out of my body constantly. And for the first year, I was doing at least at least one interview a day, a lot more, and speaking probably every two to four weeks. So I had the opportunity to get it out of my body. So, Joel, I would say part of the issue is when people start going into that depressed mode or they don't know how to handle it, it's because they chunk it so deep in their body, and they're not getting it out. And when you get it out is you talk about it. That's why you have therapists, right? You get it out of your body, you talk about it. You get up and move, it gets out of your body. Right, move your kiss, you know, kinesiology, right? Your kinesthetic mode, right? So you have your audio mode, right? You get it out of your body, talking wise, kinesthetically, you start moving your body, and that's how I processed it, and it served me well. And so when I see somebody in that unresourceful mode, I can pretty much diagnose that can only they chunk something so deep in their body they can't get it out. They don't know how to get it out, so they just leave it there. So they're always miserable. What, you know? what do you think makes people do that? They don't because they, they they don't understand how to really manage their mind. I mean they 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 think they're they're unique. I see a lot of people think I'm the only person this ever happened to. And you know I tell you what happened, which was a great lesson for me. And it happened right down the street where I'm sitting right now. I got a phone call where I'm sitting right now from my wife. And we have a, had a couple of neighbors down the street. You know a couple older ladies, right? No big deal. They called my wife and asked if she could help fix their TV. Now, yeah, my wife actually probably could, but she called me because she knows I can't fix the TV. I'm good at that. I know how to fix because I like TV, right? <laughs> so I go down the street, and a couple older ladies, and, you know, less than two minutes, basically I just connected a couple of wires, right, TV's on, right? Uh, so they said, can you stay for milk and cookies? I said, I love milk and cookies. Listen, you know, I don't know about you, I love milk and cookies, especially – a couple older ladies could probably bake, right? They probably could bake a good, good cookie, right? So I'm all in, right? So go get your milk and cookies. I'll stay here. So I'm sitting there on their couch, and they had a coffee table. They had, they had some books on the couch. So I'm not flipping through the books, right? No big deal. And also, I open this book, and also I see pictures. And they're pictures of concentration camps. Now, I love World War II history. I love reading about it, thinking about it, writing about it, watch. I love it. So I look at these pictures of these concentration camps. I'm like, Wow. So they come out, and I said, hey, where would you get this stuff? They said, well, we were there. 
And all so, of a sudden, they rolled up their sleeves and showed me their arms, the numbers down their arms. I went, whoa. Set me back. Yeah, I bet. Well, you tell me the story. I love her stories. And I said, can you let me record the story? They said, you cannot record it, but we'll tell you the story. For two hours, they told me the story of being in these concentration camps and how they survived. They've always lived with each other the rest of their lives. They're two sisters. And back then, they were probably 70-some years old back then. This is like 10 years ago or something, right? Mm-hmm. I, one of the things I realized is this. These two ladies survived probably, if not the most horrific situation in the history of the world, one of the most horrific situations in the world. They survived and thrived. How did they do that? I started asking, how did they do that? Because they had a different reference. So when somebody, I, so Joel, when someone, I'm going to answer your question right now. So when someone asks me something and they can't figure it out, and it's like, you know, I'm the only one, and man, this is the worst situation. I said, listen, they're no longer around, so I have other people. I said, let's go talk to these ladies. Let them give you a point of reference on what bad really is. I mean, you're having a bad day, right? You're having a bad day. I got it. Let's talk about somebody who had a bad couple years. And so all of a sudden, what I figured, I talk about this in my TED Talk a little bit, is if I could hook up people who've gone through horrific situations, tough situations, and survived with people who are having a bad day or having something that's bad, they may have cancer, right? They may have cancer. Let me tell you, let's talk to somebody who's had cancer or had AIDS and survived, right? Yeah. I'll give you a pointer. I'll find you a point of reference to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm having a bad day, but it ain't that bad. And all of a sudden, it changes their point of reference. And I can do this, right? Because they did it. And I, and I, once I started doing that, Joel, it's opened up so many avenues for me in my life because I now I can connect people. That's one of the things I, I love to do is connect people and say, okay, you having a bad day? Let me show you what a bad day is, right? Let's go to Somalia. Yeah. Talk to somebody who's a Somalia who has no food, no clothes, nothing. Yeah, give them a bit of perspective. Right? Put a perspective, right? Yeah. I'll talk. I'll give you somebody from Somalia. I'll tell you, I'll, I know somebody. When you have nothing, and you're complaining? Yeah. Right? No big yeah. deal. No, no, that's no. what I do. That's how I do it. And that's how I help people lead themselves. That's why I talk about course, cultural, you know, cultivating personal leadership. There's leadership skills in all of us. Let me help you bring them out because I can, I can, that's what I do for a living. This is what I do now is give people these points of references and how to do it because when, when their time comes up, Joel, because everybody's going to face something. Yes. I don't care if you're the Queen of England. Or you're the guy down the street. Everybody's going to have a bad day, yeah. right? I like your term on it, so use your term. Yep, exactly. Yep. The so, personal plane crash. The personal plane crash. Everybody's going to have that personal plane crash moment. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you're the richest guy in the world, like Queen Elizabeth. She's had some bad days, right? Yeah. Right? And But you know what? She got through them, right? So that's a long answer to her short question. I like it. Yeah. It's a uh, perspective huge. Yep. I found that something that helped me as well was being able to just look for the, the learning. Cause, cause I'm, I love learning. I've sort of spun it to myself that no matter how crappy or bad it gets, there's always something, there's always a nugget in there for me. I just got to find it. Yep. And that's, that, that helped me massive. Um, it's a learning experience instead of a failure. Just, just reframe it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, can you tell us a little bit more about um, Half-Life and the academy you've got going? Because when I read up on this uh, the other day, I was I was stoked because this 
what you're doing is what I feel really passionate about because I went through it. I went through the midlife crisis. I went through assessing whether I should be you, whether it's worth being you, you know. Um, I went through the depression. I went through the, the or, you know, hating my job for 20 plus years and and everything else that goes with it. You, you reassess everything. So this was like, I, I, lo- <laughs> I love this. It's almost like divine connection because it's so pertinent to the audience and, and, and my story. So, sorry, I'll stop, I'll stop talking. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more? Well, that's all right, though, because I appreciate it because a few years ago, I, I just happened to run into somebody um, and we were talking about my story. They heard my story. I forget whether it was uh, in Success Magazine or a podcast, but they heard my story. And they, they worked, this gentleman worked for an organization called Halftime out of Dallas, Texas. And he called me and said, listen, can we interview you? Cause he said, cause basically you were doing all this and all of a sudden now your life's changed 180 degrees. This is, you had your halftime story. So I, I did this interview, right? And they invited me to come to Dallas and I got to meet the owner who's just recently passed away named Bob Buford. I got to meet the guy who founded and wrote the book. See, one of the things, Joel, I do is I like to meet people who've actually done it and been there as a guy who, who's the author of anything. And I had a chance to go for three days to be in Dallas with meeting Bob and his team. And, and what they do is they work with people, primarily individuals who, who've been through it. They've worked, worked all their lives, right? They've either, they've made it, but they're not fulfilled. What are they going to do, right? I'm, I'm miserable right now. I'm, you know, maybe cheating on my wife or husband. I'm going out to buy the Porsche instead of doing something, right? I'm doing stupid stuff because I don't have the other half of my life figured out. And that's what these folks were doing. So they were using my story as a way to show people, say, you know, this guy was a successful sales guy, right? He did a good job, had a plane crash. And all of a sudden, so I woke up. It's like, you know what? Is this all there is? And that's what halftime does. Is this all there is? Yeah. And now they help people reframe, be able to say, no, it's not all there is. It's just your halftime. So it's like, I did a, I did a video and audio the other day about, so I, and I got to meet an assistant football coach at the University of Nebraska when I was there speaking. And we we're talking about great versus good coaches versus great coaches, right? And he, and what we talked about is good coaches all plan. Everybody plans. You can see this as a leader too, right? Everybody plans, right? But the great coaches are the ones who adjust at halftime. He said, I'm like, got it. Because he said, you know, it's the Bill Belichick's of the world. The great coaches of the world go in at halftime and figure it out and make the adjustment. I said, that's halftime. Right of your life, all you do is making that adjustment. You need somebody around that can help you sort of see it in a different perspective yeah. to make that switch. So that's what halftime does, and that's what I try to do when I mentor and coach people. It's like I'll, I'll help you get to that time, and we'll let's find out what we're going to do the next you know thirty or so. One of the things I do is I make ten year plans. Never did that before two thousand nine, Joel. Never, but two thousand nine I made my first ten year plan and my second ten year plan. My first 10-year plan just ended, and I, just, I completed it. I did exactly the 10-year plan. Now we're moving to the next 10-year plan, from 2019 to 2029. And by that time, hopefully I'm done, we're retired, and we're having a good time on the beach. But So I basically do my, my halftime in 10-year plans. So Ross, could, you, could you explain a little bit more about your 10-year plan? Because I found even just over the last three years, well, since I started writing things down, it's got a power to it, yep. and I and I don't fully understand it. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I get to you, my my first ten year plan was I was working for a company. I just went through a plane crash three four months prior, 
So my mind was already out there a little bit, right? And I'm getting hit by all these different angles. So I write this plan out. Part of the plan was I'll work another few years of doing what I was doing. But I really wanted to move out and start speaking and really impacting people. So I had to figure out how to make the shift, which was difficult for me. Mm. But I had a plan. Three to four years, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to shift for the next four to five to six years and do what I'm doing now, speaking, writing books. And all of a sudden, I made that shift on February 1st, 2014. It took me five years, actually, to do it. Then I shifted. And now I'm doing what I'm doing now. So my next 10-year plan is this. I've done this. I've had 30-plus years of successful sales. I've been speaking all over the world, over 1,100 times around the world. I've been, I had the opportunity to impact people. I went through a very unique experience that only 155 people have ever experienced in their lives, right? So now my next year plan is to take all this and go back into either a nonprofit or a corporation organization and teach this. And whether it's in a sales organization or leadership, but teach all of that, whether it's the sales skills or how to use these personal leadership skills that I've learned and experienced and had to do and back into current companies and be teach them how to be a servant leader in their company. Because right now, the big movement right now is really moving from uh, from the corporate leadership to more senior leadership, adding value first, giving people, giving value first as leaders instead of direction leader, positional or directional leadership. There's a shift going on. It's one of the things you heard, one of the terms you'll hear now, I don't know what's happened in the UK, but is, is the voice of the customer or the yeah. voice of the employee, right? Yeah, this is just starting to be a... It started to be a big, and that's all we got. We got, we got to listen, right, to lead. That's the shift it's making. So if I can get on the front of that shift and teach people how to be a servant leader and be the help with the voice of the customer or the voice of, of the employee, that's where this is moving. So this is the next 10-year plan. So is, is this heavily based on um, like HR? Is this HR side or is this anything? No, I, I speak to leadership organizations and companies, uh, you know, from, from you know, all over from finance to sales to HR to executives. It's, it's more of a mindset. It's a really servant leadership mindset. And it has to start at the top. You know, and it comes from, you know what? You know, we, the autocratic way of doing things worked for a long time, right? You can just tell somebody to do it, they do it or don't do it. But now people, especially if you look at millennials and younger Gen Xers, they push back. They're like, I'm not going to put up with this crap. No. I'm not going to do this. I'll just leave the company. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's my just say that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> leave the company. I don't need this stuff. Hey, by the way, I'm 23 years old. I want direct access to the CEO. I don't want to deal with it. I want, I want to talk to them about my vision. Yeah. Right? They don't respect the levels, right? <laughs> Where it was, right? So you got to adjust to that and by being a servant leader, be giving them value first, right? And that's where, where the sort of direction is going, the voice of the employee, the voice of the customer. Okay. I like it. Um, something you touched on now and I'd like to go back to. Uh, you, you mentioned um, about your switch. Um, when, you, when you switched and you said you put steps in place, would you mind discussing a little bit more detail about the steps you put in place to transition? Transition from corporate to what I'm doing. Yeah, so like you had you part of your ten year plan. You had you 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 said you was going to do it for a few years and then transition. But there was obviously something that was you had to do. First. I'll tell you what exactly because part of the transition and part of the game plan that I didn't plan on. We very can I didn't plan on is my family. Right. I didn't include them. Right. This is my ten year plan. 
But what I realized is if I didn't have the buy-in from my wife, it wouldn't have mattered. This thing would have imploded 15 times over. So it, it took me five years to really get things in place. So my wife saw that it had enough certainty that, hey, Dave can pull this off, right? Well, Dave's worked for a company for 30 plus years, right? He has had a deal with uh, payroll, health insurance, all the things you got to deal with when you're on your own, right? Yeah. So it took me about five years. And once I realized that I can't do this until my wife buys into it. And once my wife gives me the thumbs up, that's what happened. On January 15th, 2014, she gave me the thumbs up. Two weeks later, I was doing what I'm doing right now. I like it. I had to give her, she had to give me the, the thumbs up because now she's in, right? Yeah. You're in with me now. So when all stuff's breaking loose, which it does, like I said, no life's perfect. Everybody's got their personal plane crashes, yeah. right? She's in there with me, which is a whole lot different than me on my own. And, you know, why did you do this? Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I transitioned this year from shop floor 20 plus years to uh, the office site, like, you know, um, but it was a huge, it's a, it's a huge change in c culture. Certainty, you know, Certainty versus uncertainty. Yeah. It's uh, and it's, but it's good. It's, it's a complete, it's, um, I'm, I'm in a, a growth environment and I'm seeing cool. the change in the levels from what I was doing to what I am doing. Cool. So it's, I get, and I get it. I, I actually sat my family down and I said to them, look, I said, if, if I make this move, this is, this is how it's going to impact you because, you know, dad's not banging out 10, 15, 20 hours a month overtime. So there's certain things that are going to have to be gone. And I have to lay it down quite black and white and say, you know, this is the situation. Yeah, we're not going on vacation this year, guys. Well, yeah, that was, that yeah. was the conversation. Yeah. Though. Exactly. But, I know. I've done it every last couple of years. It's like, yep, hey, we, we're in this game for a mission and everybody's, everybody's in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a game changer when you can get everyone on board. I don't think a lot of people look at it that way. They, like we, we, we do it. Uh, we've just recently done our plan. We actually, we've been putting it off for years, but we, we've got our own individual ones. And I said, well, the way we're going, we're going to, we're going to go like this because my wife's got her business idea. You know, I'm working in my, in my job and then there's things that I love to pursue like this. Uh, but I said, if we don't plan it together, so like those little milestones that we can achieve and come to, right? I didn't, I really didn't want us go in different directions. So yeah, we've just recently sat down and done that. It's quite, it's quite powerful to do that with each other. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, so what, another thing you mentioned as well, um, meaning equals emotion, which equals life. Right. Can you explain this a little bit more? Cause I love this. Sure. I think it's fantastic. No, it's, it's, it's something I learned and Kaylee, I've, I've, I've had to employ and use. So yeah, anything, you, any mean, anything you attach a meaning to, whether it's positive or negative, gives you an emotion. You know, if you say you kiss your wife, you have an emotion of happiness, right? Or if something happens to you, you get an emotion of despair or defeat. Every, either, whatever meaning you attach to, whatever happens, it gives you an emotion. But that emotion right then is your life. Yeah. Right? But in the moment, you might be totally depressed. Five minutes later, you might have joy and happiness because all of a sudden you won the lottery. Right? So whatever that meaning is equals the emotion you're going to have. That emotion all equals whatever life your life experience is for that moment. That's why I call my book Moments Matter. That's why I talk about my moments matter. These moments, right? These moments and these meanings mean everything. 
healthcare, right? So that's, that's what I tell people one of the other ways you can grow from a traumatic life experience. A lot of people put negative meanings. So I, there was a lady that I was working with. She's a Canadian. She was in Nepal, and I think this happened five or six years ago now. They had the avalanche in Nepal. Uh, four people survived. Everybody else died. She survived. She got back to Canada, and she, I, so I get this phone call from a mutual friend who, uh, you know, uh, and he said, listen, can you talk to this, this, this my friend? I said, why? She, said, she won't come out of the cabin. She is just devastated. She doesn't understand why she didn't die and everybody else did. I said, well, I don't know if I can help her. I'll be more happy to talk to her. So I did. And what I really found out is that's the meaning, right? The meaning she attached to it is, why didn't it happen to me? Why didn't it happen to everybody else and not me? And I said, well, I said the same thing when there was another plane crash after ours. I said, one of the questions I got after the plane crash in Buffalo, which is about six weeks after our plane crash, 100% of people died. One of my clients was on that plane. And so I showed up at their office a few weeks later. One of the questions, you know, I was getting is, is, you know, about her. And so I did the interview in, I did a TV interview in Montreal, Canada by Skype. And one of the first questions the interviewer says, why did, why did they die and you didn't? What's the difference in yours and theirs? And that took me back. Cause it's like, I don't know why I didn't die. I said, it just wasn't my time. It wasn't my time. Now, now it came out later. You know, those pilots didn't have as much experience, right? There's other things around it, but it just, I said, it wasn't my time. So I told her, I said, it just wasn't your time. You have a bigger meaning to your life now. You have a platform that very few people in the history of the world have. You survived an avalanche. What are you going to do with it? I chose to do something with mine. And I don't know if I got to her or not, but that's what I told her. I said, and I remember I was on the, I was on Interstate 95 down in Georgia when I was talking to her. I was a sudden stuck in traffic. I asked her, I said, what are you going to do with it? And she didn't say a word. She didn't say a word because I got her. I was like, you survived something that no one else had. Four people in the world has ever done that. Four people. I mean, we had 155 on mine. What are you going to do with this? How are you going to impact somebody's life, right? Yeah. So yeah. if they face this, you know, you can help them, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, meaning is huge. And, and, and a lot of the time that's what's missing or understanding of what the meaning is. Right. You know, uh, we're not, it's something we're not taught, is it? I, I you know, not in schooling. They, that. they don't teach you how to handle finances. In, 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 uh, maybe in Britain they do, maybe in the UK they do. Here, they don't teach you that in school. No, no, that's why <laughs> we're, yeah, we're still going through the processes of, of, our, of our lack of education around finances. So that's something yeah. the kids are seeing us go through. When I was growing up, I, I was sort of shielded from it. I knew yep. it was there, but I was sort of shielded. But My dad we, never talked to me about it, never. No, and I've been quite open with the kids because they need to appreciate I want them to see what going in debt does yep <laughs> you know? exactly so cool okay so can you touch on the, something else you just mentioned then uh, post-traumatic growth PTGS I've, yeah I've never heard of that post-traumatic growth syndrome never heard of it until I got a phone call from a magazine that I don't know what's called in the UK uh, but here they call it AARP from basically Association for Retired People Right, it's for people over the age of fifty. Yeah. And, so, and they have this magazine, and this guy called me and said, "Can we like to interview her around how post-traumatic growth syndrome?" I said, "What the heck's post-traumatic growth syndrome?" So they explained it to me. He said, 
we were using you as as an example. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's two universities, UNC Charlotte and North Dakota State University, are doing studies around how do people grow from traumatic life experiences. And you have by just by looking at what you've done with the American Red Cross. And I said, okay. So I didn't know nothing about it, so they interviewed me. And I started learning about it. Is that you can grow instead of go to PTSD, which is the opposite side, right? You go to you go to a depression, which a lot of people did after the plane crash, right? They went into a depressed state. So what's the difference between we had the same experience? Why did I grow and some people did not grow? That was really what they were looking at. And I start explaining, you know, well, I process it a different way. I attached a different meaning to it. I put different references to it. And that also I was like thinking, that's the strategy. That's the strategy on how to grow, right? You know, put different meaning to it, have a, you know, have, you know, have different references and put yourself in the appropriate state, right? And that's how I did it. So that's how, so when I went out, I was very honored that I had four universities ask me to do this TED talk. And I, that's why I chose up at the, you know, Queen's University up in, up in Canada, right? To do it because I want to do it out, out of the country because Canada is having, an issue like the United States with the opioid crisis and a lot of people who are depressed and the drugs and things are going on. And so I wanted to do it in Canada because I have an affinity for, I've done a lot in Canada, but uh, that's how I did why I did it in Canada. That's why I did it because I, I want to show that there is a strategy to grow hmm. from anything, unless you're dead. There's, that's a pretty tough strategy after that. But if you have, if, you, if you're alive and you're breathing and you're lucid, you can handle it. And I'm just, let me show you a couple ways you can handle it. That's how I did it. That's cool. That's, 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 that's a gift that is to be able to share that and, and to actually look at it and share it in that way, you know? Well, um, I walked it. See, and that's what I tell people too. Like we talked earlier, find somebody to walk or talk. Yeah. Right. I walked it. I did. I lived it. So it's my, I feel it's my obligation now to share it. Uh, and because every day everybody's facing something. Yeah. Absolutely. This message just gets out a little bit. I, I've been going to infect one person a day. I've done my job. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, I mean, where you come across, you, you, you present yourself uh, as a strong character. Is it, have you ever looked into uh, values? I mean, of someone that's into growth and everything else and may well have journeyed into this, but is something value, going into your values, something that you do with your clients or? Well, you know, it's interesting because that's, that's how I really started. When I went to my first seminar, one of the first things we did is we had to write down what we valued most. And Kayla, I didn't know what I valued most. Hmm. So I had to ask different questions. They would ask you questions, right? So I started getting my values down. So, you know, because once you understand somebody's values, right, you understand how they value something, you know how they're going to make decisions. Hmm. So I actually started using this in sales. I'd ask them two, two questions that I learned. What's most important to you and what has to happen for you to realize that? And I realized once I got those questions, I understand what they valued most. So when I was in a sales position, and I could say, let's talk about that one value, right? Whether it's certainty, whether it's being, you know, unique, whether it's I want to be a leader or growth. All of a sudden, with those two questions, I was finding out more information about that person's values. And then I could talk to them in a way that I could relate. Let's talk about how we could add, add significant growth to your organization by doing this. Or how I can give you certainty when 2 o'clock in the morning when stuff breaks loose, it's going to get fixed. It was an amazing transformation for me to learn that so yes when i work with people and i talk with people those are usually one of the first two questions i ask people because i want to understand what they value most at that moment 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that gave me a lot of clarity with how I was in the world at the time, especially when I was confused and lost and everything else that goes with it. Okay, um, so I'm not sure if it was your post I responded to on LinkedIn, but there was one post which is regarding moments that matter. I think it was actually. And I think I can't, you, it was to do with making the most of those little moments throughout our lives and how we tend to build up to like the 21st birthday, like birthdays or weddings or celebrations or, you know, we restrict ourselves to those joyous big moments. Yet the ability to have those sensations is always present. Do you, how, how do you bring that into your day? Well, one of the things I've learned is every moment in your life happens for a reason and a purpose, and it serves you. And I didn't realize that, Canley, until after the plane crash, Canley. This is sort of my, one of my awakenings. Mm. I started realizing all these moments in my life happened for a reason and got me to this point. So I had to value every moment. And, yes, there are some moments I value more than others because one of the things I try to do for the people that come into my life is what and it was given, gifts that were given to me is make people, give people magic moments. Moments that they will always remember, right? And do something so unique that they can't, they can't buy it. They can't buy that. They can't spend enough money to get that moment. Mm-hmm. And I've learned when I do that, those are the moments that stick. So how can I make more magic moments, right? If I want that, if that's, I know they stick in your mind and it's important how all the moments in your life matter. How can I make more magic moments for more people? So that's one of my missions right now, right? And, and, you know, and it really came to, I'll tell you the moment it came to me. I was speaking for the Red Cross. I was speaking at the Supreme, it was the Supreme Court with the Red Cross, all right? The United States, Supreme Court. A Justice, Justice Kennedy was there, one of the Supreme Court. He, he said, come with me to my, to my quarters. He said, give me a three minute version of what happened. I'm in my, I am in the Supreme Court, a justice's quarters, sharing him what happened in the Hudson River. I'm thinking, you can't pay enough to get that moment, right? You can't pay to get in there, right? I said, that's what I came to. It's like, you know what? I just had a magic moment that I would never have had. How can I make more magic moments? And then how can I make more magic moments for other people? And that's when it started kicking off for me. I tell you, that was the moment I said, I've got to start making magic moments. But they'll start not only remember that, they'll start remembering me. That this is the guy who made this thing happen for me, right? And all of a sudden, I do a lot for kids like that. I do a lot for veterans. I do a lot for, uh, you know, police and fire. That's what I got a lot of passion for. If I can do something special with them, make them a special, unique moment, that moment mattered. They remembered. And that's, that's how it all started, that moment in Supreme Court. I like it. I like it, Dave. I want to be respectful of your time, um, you. and we're being uh, we're, we're coming up on close to the hour. Um, would you like to? Oh, could I ask one last question? Sure. Looking into the future, what's the craziest and most exciting thing that you could be doing? I definitely want. To, I want to skydive. I mean, that's the one <laughs> thing. You know, I've talked about it. I've, I've used a lot of words about it. I've got to figure out a way to get that done because the sensation of flying, just jumping out of a plane, I've been out of a plane. I crashed in a plane, right? But being able to fly, jump out of a plane with, and just be free, I think that's one of the greatest sensations you can have. So that's, that's probably the, one of the wildest things. I'm, and I will get it done one way or another. I just got to figure out how to get it done. So that's it. Fantastic. 
Okay, and, and then the last one then is, could you tell my audience on what platforms they can find you? Sure. I, I As you know, as, as we connected on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best way because every day I drop new content on LinkedIn. See, Joel, I have a goal this year of putting out 300 new pieces of leadership content. One, one, every day, one every business day of the year. So LinkedIn is a great way because you can learn about me and you can learn something every day. So David Sanderson on LinkedIn or check me out on my website at davesandersonspeaks.com because that's where you just sort of see where I'm going, my products, my, my, my book, my course, Cultivating Personal Leadership. If you want to talk to me, you know, you just want to say, no, I'm having a tough time, ping me and we'll have a conversation, right? Just how easy I am to get a hold of, right? You know, I've, I've got to find ways that's not, not be as easy to get a hold of. But right now, you know, if you want to get a hold of me, I'd love to connect with people and see how I can help uh, support your mission. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time today. Super appreciate that. And uh, thank you for sharing your, your story so honestly. Thank you, Joel. It's been a pleasure. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Thanks, Dave. That was brilliant. Are you off now? We're off, mate, yeah. Cool. I hope that went well for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you flew through the questions. You, I, didn't, I didn't think we'd get through them, but I sort of had to yeah, come up with a couple more on the, on the go. You, so, you, so when are you going to put this out so I can promote it? So this will be going out next Friday. Um, I'll get this all edited up. Um, and then would you like the MP3 in the video? I would because what I'll do is I'll put it out on LinkedIn. I'll put it out and have my team put it out too. Okay. okay. I'll send that, the, that way you'll get a larger audience, but primarily in the United States. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go out. And so send it, if you send me that, we'll post it out on the different platforms. Okay. And make it happen. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Anything I can do for you, let me know. And uh, I usually go to England once every couple of years. So if uh, next time I come over, if you want to be my special guest and see me rock the stage. Absolutely. And if I can, <laughs> if, you have, if you have anybody that would like to have a conversation and say I can help them, please let me know. Okay. Absolutely. Um, one, one thing I would like to know sure. is, is, is your coaching. Yep. Um, I'd like to sit down and maybe if we could have five minutes and just understand that. I know you've got some on your website. Yep. But there's also the mindset series as well. And I wasn't sure which one is. So let's do that. Let's, uh, you got my email address, right? Yeah. Is that a time? We'll sit down for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. I'll go through what I do because, you know, I, basically what I, it all depends on what you're looking for. But what I really like to do now is, like I said, I'm looking for Tim. I'd like, I'm going to take this, all this material that I learned from Bill and Tony that I've encapsulated and I'm coaching people step by these 12 steps on how to really get it together, right? Get your business together, and but it also is not only business; it's emotionally, financially, spiritually, and physically. Yeah. I go through, built with you all this, and I'm here sitting thinking, Joel. I said, for, for 16 years, I'm a freaking idiot. I had all this. I had I had gold in my hands, but now it's in my hands, and yeah. now I'm doing something with it. So let's set a time and we'll talk about it. Okay? Fantastic. Absolutely. Right, I got to go. Three o'clock. Go to bed. Put your kids to bed. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. All right, cheers. All the best.